0: The following audio is from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. Lay well, Ben, it's good to be together tonight. Really starting to feel like Christmas outside, even in Southern California. Nice to get a little cooler weather. We come in here, feel warm, and uh, cozy together. Uh, just a reminder, uh, Brother Ricardo wanted me to remind uh, there is uh, the One Step Ministry is having a time of prayer tomorrow evening, 7 p.m. That'll be at the Duarte Community Center, their normal gathering place, different th- this, this Thursday night simply because they're going to be devoting it to a time of prayer. All men are welcome to come out and join in prayer. So any hearts that feel c- called to come and pray, that'll be uh, tomorrow night at the Duarte Community Center in, uh, at 7 p.m. So today is the 75th anniversary of the Pearl Harbor invasion. Um, was there anybody here for that? I wasn't around then. Okay, um, but I've seen I've been seeing that on the news, and something interesting. One of the a retired general made a comment. I just kind of saw this, and you know, so many observing some some uh, memory about that that uh, that day changed, of course, everything for the United States, changed everything concerning World War II. It was really the the thing that got America involved. At that time, we were on the sidelines. The war was already advancing in Europe. Hitler was already doing his thing in Europe. We were kind of restrained, not wanting to get involved. Uh, but then as the access powers aligned, Germany and Japan, and then when Japan attacked us, that kind of just threw us into the war. But what this uh, general observed was that day, not only, of course, did it engage us in war with Japan, but that's what really drew the whole American people into the world war in Europe. And so th- this general pointed out that had the uh, America not gotten involved, who knows what Hitler would have ultimately done and accomplished in Europe. So even that horrible day of the Pearl Harbor invasion, it turned out to be something that really stopped the forces of evil in Europe and around the world because it uh, really awakened and America, uh, the American nation and our willingness and desire to push back these evil forces. And, you know, it's interesting because tonight we're going to be studying uh, 1 Kings chapter 12, and it's, it, it marks a real change in the nation of Israel's history. This is a very pivotal chapter tonight. Uh, the nation of Israel, as you know, we've been tracking through 1 Kings, has been a united kingdom. The tri- 12 tribes have been there. There's been some division amongst them from time to time, but for the most part, It has been a united nation, but after Solomon's death, and we're going to see here tonight, we'll read the account, the nation is going to divide. There's going to be a split. And from here forward in all of Israel's history, it is a divided kingdom. And this kind of marks that division. And yet what we'll see is that even this dividing of the kingdom, which is something of a tragedy, it's not what God ultimately desired, obviously, for his people, for his nation. But we're going to see in a couple of places where it says, but the Lord ordained it. It was of the Lord. The Lord allowed this difficult uh, circumstance, this kind of sad day in his nation's history, but it was of the Lord because it served other purposes that God had to help preserve the nation and work in the life of the nation. And we'll see that play out as we go forward in Israel's history. Simply to say this, that even in difficult things, the sovereign hand of God is able to work and turn things for good. And that's the promise that we have in the New Testament, right, that He works all things together for good to those that love God and to those that are called according to His purpose. And so we'll see some of that here played out tonight. And, you know, even in tragedy, when you love God and you know that your your life is under His sovereign care and love, Come what may, you know that God is able to turn it, work it, make it something good in his time. And that gives us a great hope, that gave us, gives us a great promise, and it's really a great comfort as we walk and live for the Lord because we do have hard times. There are difficult seasons, there are crises, there are um, you know, divisions and things that take place, and yet, if you're walking and trusting the Lord, you know, hang in there, watch the faithfulness of God in time, bring about his good purpose. Not that God did these things or, or, or intended these things, but God is able by his sovereignty to work these things for good. Let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us tonight out of 1 Kings chapter 12. Lord, we do thank you for the, the confidence that we have tonight that you are the God that is above all, and that in all circumstance, in all areas of our lives, you reign supreme, and Lord, we just pray that tonight you 'll speak to us, even as we open this chapter and we see this really something of a discipline, something of a tragedy in the life of your people, the nation of Israel, this split and divide, and yet, Lord. You let us know, even in this chapter, that it was of you, your working, your purpose, your plan. And I pray, God, that that will give us a confidence tonight as we live for you, that you are also working your good purpose and plan in our lives as well. Speak to us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. First Kings chapter 12, where we are, of course, in our study through this book is that uh, kind of marching through the history of Israel, Solomon's heart. We saw in chapter 11, Solomon's heart, the great and wealthy king turned away from the Lord. His wives drew his heart away. He began to worship even false gods alongside, worshiping Jehovah. And the Lord told Solomon that, that he would discipline him, and that in, in the, the way he would discipline is that he was going to take uh, the majority of the kingdom away from his descendants but he would preserve some for the sake of David, for the sake of Jerusalem. He not only told this to Solomon, but the prophet Ahijah, he came and told uh, Jeroboam that, he was going to, that the Lord was going to take 10 tribes away from Solomon's descendant and give a significant portion of the kingdom to Jeroboam. God prophesies there's going to be this division. It's going to be something of a discipline and judgment because of Solomon turning his heart away. But it's all but he's going to also have keep some in Solomon's lineage for the sake of David and for the sake of Jerusalem. Well, when Jeroboam hears this prophecy, we noticed last chapter that Jeroboam began to rebel. He began to try to get ahead of the Lord. The Lord said, I'm going to take these things and give them to you. Well, Jeroboam started his own program, and and Solomon found out and tried to kill him, and he had to flee to Egypt. Uh, But God also sent uh, some enemies to arise against Solomon from both in the north and the south. We see the Lord's discipline beginning there to come to Solomon but not in full measure, waiting for Solomon's uh, reign to end. Solomon dies, and Rehoboam, his son, so kind of hard to keep track of all these names. We have a Rehoboam, we have a Jeroboam. Rehoboam is Solomon's son, who takes the place of Solomon. He ta- he's now sitting on the throne. But there is a Jeroboam, who the prophet has prophesied that he is going to take 10 of the 12 tribes unto himself, and the kingdom is going to be divided. So that's the setting as we get into now chapter 12. Look with me at the beginning of 12, chapter 12, verse 1. And Rehoboam, that's Solomon's son, went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. This is something up in the center of the nation. So he goes there to be coronated as king. And so it happened when Jeroboam, now that's not Solomon's son, that's the one that the prophet said, God's going to give you 10 tribes of the kingdom. When Jeroboam, the son of Nebat heard it, he was still in Egypt for he had fled from the presence of King Solomon and had been dwelling in Egypt that they sent and called him. So now Solomon's dead. He comes back to town. Then Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, verse four, your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. And so he said to them, depart for three days, then come back to me. me." And the people departed. So he says, let me think about this. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived, and he said, how do you advise me to answer these people? And they spoke to him, saying, if you will be a servant to these people today and serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. But he rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him, who stood before him. And he said to them, what advice do you give? How should we answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, lighten the yoke which your father put on us? Then the young men who had grown up with him spoke to him, saying, thus you should speak to this people who have spoken to you, saying, your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, my little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. So, the setting. Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, he's the rightful heir to the kingdom. He goes to Shechem to hear from the tribes and getting ready to be made king. Jeroboam comes back from Egypt, and he brings some leadership and says, okay, listen, if you want to be king, we need you to lighten up on us. Remember, Solomon had developed quite a wealthy nation and built quite an empire. We read some of his just his horses, his chariots, all that he had established in the kingdom. Well, that took quite a bit of taxation. That took quite a bit of, uh, you know, resource from the nation to support all of this, to provide for all of this. And now the people are looking for some tax relief. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Like we, we, we want a little break here. We want you to ease up a little bit, and then we'll, we'll still be, you know, under your reign, and he says, well, give me a few days to think about this. Now, that sounds like a pretty good move. And so he, he consults. But he asks these um, younger people. First of all, he asks the elders, those that had counseled for his father. And they said, listen, these people will serve you if you will give them a good word. But you notice that even before he asked the, the younger advice, it says there in verse 8, but he rejected the advice which the elders had given him and consulted with the young men who had grown up with him who stood before him. So this is an example of someone, a guy who really is looking to hear the counsel that he wants to hear. He asks of the elders. They say, hey, you should lighten up. These people, will. you be fair to them, they'll be be good to you. He rejects their counsel straight up. He, act, he acts like he wants to hear advice, but he, when he hears advice that doesn't, he doesn't want to hear, he rejects it, and then he turns to those that he's grown up with, the younger men of his time, and hears the advice that they have, and that's much more to his liking. And this is a danger for all of us. We all like to, to hear what we like to hear, Right. Oh, oh, pastor, I'm looking for some advice. Oh, I need another pastor. That's not the advice. Uh, how about you over here? I need some advice, right? And you're shopping advice, waiting for someone to tell you what you want to hear. Oh, I knew you were anointed, pastor. You, I knew you were hearing from God. That's why I came to you. And that's kind of what this young man is doing, Rehoboam. But there is, there is some wisdom, I think, that comes from the elders in uh, the nation, the elders in a church. It's not always true. Just, Just being older doesn't mean you're necessarily wiser. But if you're walking with the Lord and you're growing in faith and if you're maturing in the Lord and you live through some experiences with the Lord, you get to see some of his faithfulness through trial, through the ups and downs of life. You do have something to offer in terms of counsel. Consider this verse with me. You don't need to turn. But in Peter, he says, 1 Peter 5, 5, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. There is something about being humble and wanting to hear the counsel Of those that have walked with the Lord again, you're looking for spiritual counsel, godly counsel, not just someone who's older. Because if someone's older and doesn't know the Lord, their counsel will probably not be as good as a younger person who knows the Lord. But in the in the case of uh, you know finding good counsel, you want to hear, but you really want to listen. There is wisdom in a multitude of counselors, but only if you listen to the counsel, if you allow it to speak to your heart. Well. Rehoboam is not really interested in listening until he gets someone to tell him what he already wants to hear. So he goes to those who grew up with him. But you have to remember, he grew up in Solomon's house. Can you imagine the kind of privilege that he had? And those that grew up with him in the king's court. These were young men of great privilege. These were young men who didn't have a lot of real life experience living out in the kingdom. They were somewhat disconnected from their community of Israel. They lived in the palace. They, in, they knew nothing of what the people were experiencing. They only knew from their side, the privileged side. And so now these people want to break, and they have no empathy. They have no ability to relate to what those people are feeling. They've never experienced that. So he listens to those that grew up with him, those that had limited experience as he And so he is rejecting the wise counsel, receiving this counsel. And I want you to think about Jesus for a moment, because when we come to the Lord, we don't come to a God who is far off and disconnected and can't relate to us. You see, when the people of the nation were coming to Solomon's son and his privileged few, they couldn't relate to them. They couldn't really connect with their needs, their concerns. But that's not the case with our priest and king, Jesus. We have a king that can relate to us. You know, we're we're in Christmas season. Isn't it it interesting that Jesus was born in a manger? Jesus was born in such humility to such a poor and difficult circumstance and couple. Why? Why? Why wasn't he born in the, in the best of palaces? Why wasn't he given the, the highest place on earth? Because he didn't come to be served, right? He came to serve. And that's what these elders are saying to Rehoboam. If you'll serve them, if you'll humble your heart and be good and bless these people, they'll serve you. And so, this Jesus… We come to a Jesus who, the Bible says in Hebrews 4.15, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. It goes on, Hebrews 5 and verse 8, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Jesus came as a humble servant. Jesus tasted the, the difficulties, the trials, the... The hardships of life. When we come to Jesus, we come to a King who knows and understands every aspect of our life. A Savior who cares, a Savior who knows, a Savior who's been there and walked and pioneered a faith through that difficult challenge of life. That comforts my heart to know that as I come to the Lord, I'm not coming to a God who can in no ways relate or understand my circumstance. I come to a God who's, imagine this, the God of the universe setting his divinity aside, humbling himself to become a man, that he might taste the the sorrows of, of mankind, that he might live among us even in the depravity and the, and the fallen nature and all that we see going on, all the hurt, all the all the sorrow. Sometimes we, we, we hear, you know, how how can a loving God allow this? How can a loving God come and live among us? He he allows it. He he allows it because it's what men's hearts have turned to. We live in a fallen world, but he allows it in the sense that he also participated in it, that he might save us from it. Oh, when we come to Jesus, we're not coming to some some privileged silver spoon in his mouth, King, we come to a Savior who humbled himself and lived among us and walked among us and gave his life for us and died on the cross for our sins. You come to a Savior who understands and empathizes and feels what you have, and he is right there with you. Let's see how Rehoboam responds to the group. Verse 12, Uh, So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day as the king had directed, saying, come back to me the third day. Then the king answered the people roughly, rejected the advice which the elders had given him. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges. So the king did not listen to the people for the turn, listen, for the turn of events was from the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which he spoke, which the Lord had spoken by Ahijah, the Shilonite to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Now, when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king saying, what share have we with, we and David, for we have no inheritance in the son of Jesse to your tents, O Israel Now see to your own house, O David. So Israel departed to their tents. But Rehoboam reigned over the children of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah. And here comes the division. Here comes the split. The people come back to hear what Rehoboam's answer will be. He answers harshly and roughly. And the ten tribes say, forget you. Who needs you or the lineage of David? We will not submit to every man to his tents. In other words, we're out of here. We won't serve you. We won't support you. We won't fight for you. We won't work for you. We won't pay your taxes. You go and just reign over those cities of Judah. Those cities also included the tribe of Benjamin, as we'll see. So this is the split. This is the major event. This is about 931 B.C., and as we track forward in our study through 1 Kings, we're going to get the, the, the history of the kings, and you're, it's going to be a little confusing, but we'll, we'll track through it. There's kings of the north, and there's kings of the south. The ten tribes became known as Israel. They were in the north. The two southern tribes that were there in Jerusalem, in Judah, they became, which was Judah and Benjamin, those two tribes, they became known as Judah. Sometimes you read through the prophets and you see the prophet speaking to Judah. You see the prophet speaking to Israel. Well, in some cases, they're speaking to the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom. In some cases, Israel would be for the whole nation. But now it's a divided nation, and this is where it took place. It was on this day that Rehoboam answered roughly. But we do see that, that we get a little insight that it was of the Lord. This turn of events was from the Lord. And he lets us know that it's because the prophet had prophesied this very thing. This is a discipline upon the nation. This is coming against Solomon for having turned his heart away and led the nation astray. Let's read on. Rehoboam, he's not really quite ready to let the northern tribes secede from the union, so to speak. Verse 18, then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was in charge of the revenue— but all Israel stoned him with stones and he died. He went up there saying, Well, I'm, you're still going to pay taxes. Well, apparently not. He sends the IRS messenger up there and they, they don't treat him good. Now, this is not a good idea for anybody, but King Rehoboam, therefore, King Rehoboam mounted his chariot in haste to flee to Jerusalem. So he was there in Shechem. He realizes, Uh oh these guys mean business. They're done with me. So he hightails back to the palace in Jerusalem. Verse 19, so Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. As of the writing of First Kings, this marks the division. Verse 20, now it came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had come back, they sent for him and called him to the congregation Jeroboam. Remember, he's the one that the prophet said, you're going to receive the ten tribes. God's doing this. Uh, excuse me. Uh, they heard that Jeroboam had come back. They sent for him, called him to the congregation, and made him king over all Israel, that is, the ten tribes. There was none who followed the house of David but the tribe of Judah only, but we'll see it includes Benjamin, verse 21. And when Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against the house of Israel that he might restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. So he's mounting up. We're not gonna allow this. This is gonna be a civil war. We're gonna go make, bring these guys back under subjection. Verse 22, but... The word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, You shall not go up nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Let every man return to his house, for this thing is from me. Therefore they observed the word of the Lord, And turned back according to the word of the Lord. For this thing is from me. Well, we know it's from the Lord for at least two reasons. Number one, it's a fulfillment of prophecy. God had sent a prophet saying, This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the nation and divide it. So it's from me, and that God is fulfilling his word through the prophet. It's also from me in the sense that it is a discipline upon Solomon and his lineage. There's a consequence. Solomon didn't experience the fullness of it in his own life, but it did affect his lineage, his rebellion against the Lord, his turning his heart away from God, not like, not like David, David who remained loyal in his heart toward the Lord. Solomon turned away, worshiped false gods, and God it, it angered the Lord. And God would have taken the whole kingdom out of Solomon's lineage except for David. Because of his love and promise to David, he kept a remnant tribe, and, and it Benjamin added to Judah for the sake of David. And he says, for the sake of Jerusalem, something about the city there where God's temple was and the worship was there, God wanted to preserve that in David's lineage. And so it's from the Lord. These men are behaving badly, but God is actually in it in some way, using it to fulfill his good purpose. I want to quote, just read a short quote to you. This is Spurgeon on this text. Notice also, dear friends, that God is in events which are produced by the sin and the stupidity of men. This breaking up of the kingdom of Solomon into two parts was the result of Solomon's sin and Rehoboam's folly. Yet God was in it. This thing is from me, saith the Lord. God had nothing to do with the sin or the folly, but in some way, which we can never explain, in a mysterious way in which we are to believe without hesitation, God was in it all. And this is the faith beneath the circumstance of all our lives, is that somehow, although we make mistakes and God's not in our mistakes, so to speak, but in underneath it, God can still work through even the mistakes of men. Boy, aren't you glad? Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be a horrible thing if the only way we could be assured of God working things for our good was as if, we'd, if we did everything just right. Oh, we would have, right? We'd, we would all quit a long time ago. I blew that chance, you know, right out of the gate. So God has made promise to us that He's able to work all things together for good, even when there's division, even when there's things that we don't necessarily understand circumstances that don't seem to be good. As I mentioned, you know, even a, a bombing attack in Pearl Harbor, how could that ever be good? Well, who knows how God used that to save a genocide in Europe? We don't know. And God is not in the evil deeds themselves, but the sovereign hand of God is able to work even when evil men make their schemes, right? Right. What did um, Joseph say to his brothers at the end when he was established by Pharaoh in Egypt, after they had sold him into slavery, when the end came and they were worried about maybe Joseph taking revenge? He said, don't worry, brothers. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. God was able to bring good even out of the evil intentions of, of his brother. Now, they're his brothers. Now, that has to be a comfort to your heart tonight. To love God, to stay close to him, to keep your life under his hand and his grace. What can man do to me when God, right? Who can be against us when God is for us? Keeping your life in his hand, God is ultimately working. God does use some difficult things for good. This is even, you know, we find these truths and promises right out of the New Testament. Sometimes the Lord uses difficult circumstance to mature and build our faith. Isn't that what James said in James 1 verse 2? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. <laughs> what? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, mature, complete, lacking nothing. Sometimes difficult circumstances are to mature and grow faith. Sometimes uh, circumstances or divisions, as we see here in the nation of Israel, are to separate or weed out the the chaff to preserve long-term unity and purity consider these two verses, 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen. for there must also be factions, divisions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. That's Paul writing to the Corinthian church, and he's saying, you know, some divisions are necessary because God has to show and manifest who's really in the faith. You know, sometimes unity at all cost is not a good idea if there is heresy or if there is sin or if there is, you know, doctrinal uh, mis, you know, misguided uh, direction. And, and hey, a little division helps keep some things on course. Consider First John 2.19, talking about those who went out, but they went out. They divided from us. They went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Sometimes the Lord allows divisions that ultimately lead to greater, excuse me, sorry, getting ahead, that allows certain divisions for the purpose of purifying and preserving. Some of that, I think, is taking place here in 1 Kings. We're going to see both of the nations on a very long and steady decline, departing from the Lord. But the northern tribes, they're going to depart much faster. We're going to see that even as we finish here tonight. They're going to start right away. But the southern kingdom would, would have some spurts of revival. They would have some good kings, some bad kings. And it, it seems like God had to separate to at least keep one portion of his nation sustained for a longer period of time into history for his purposes, so sometimes the Lord divides or allows division for a purifying, a preserving work. And, and finally, sometimes divisions, are, they come because God, God ultimately wants to produce and lead it into even greater ministry. I think of Paul and Barnabas, right, the two evangelists in the book of Acts who came to a division, such a strong disagreement, and yet they were both godly men. They were both anointed evangelists and, uh, and church planters. And, and so instead of one team traveling together, they divided, and now two teams are working for the kingdom. Not that the division is what God desired, but God used that division. And we see later on in the New Testament that even those things they divided over, God brought those things together. God redeemed it in time. But He allowed it to shake up. He allowed it to kind of blow up, to divide, for the purpose of greater advancement of his kingdom. Sometimes the Lord will allow those things and do those things for his divine purpose. And we have to learn to trust and hang on to his promises in all circumstance. Finish with me here tonight, the last few verses. We'll finish out this last section. The the nation is divided. The Lord has set it. Uh, Set Rehoboam settled him down. Don't go out. This is from me. Let it take place. And now we're going to see Jeroboam and his immediate attempts to establish his own kingdom in the north. Then Jeroboam, verse 25, built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelt there. Also, he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, now that's usually trouble. Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go out, if these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Never mind that the Lord had prophesied this. Never mind that the Lord had already given him promise. He's anxious and scheming in his own mind, how to preserve and hold on to the kingdom, verse 28. Therefore, the king asked advice. he didn't pray, but he asked advice. And here's the advice he got. He made two calves of gold and said to the people, is it too much for you to go up to Jerusalem? Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set up one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan, now, this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. That's in the very far north of Israel. Verse 31, he made shrines on the high places. He made priests from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. Does that sound like anything the Lord prescribed? Verse 32, Jeroboam ordained a, a feast on the 15th day of the eighth month. He's picking his own holy days like the feast that was in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did at Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And at Bethel, he installed the priests of the high places, which he had made. So he made offerings on the altar, which he had made at Bethel, on the fifteenth day of the eighth month, in the month which he had devised in his own heart. Great idea. Start your own religion. And he ordained a feast for the children of Israel and offered sacrifices on the altar and burned incense. Boy, what a wasted potential here in this Jeroboam. God had sent a prophet to this man and saying, I have something for you. I'm going to be disciplining and judging. Solomon's turned away from me. Solomon's worshiping other gods. And for that, I am going to take 10 of the tribes away from his lineage, and I'm going to give them to you. And so what, is, what does he do? He immediately starts to worship other gods, the very thing that God disciplined Solomon for. He has this opportunity. The Lord would, would entrust these things to him. But right away, he begins to devise things in his own heart. Just kind of, You see the progression. Verse 26, it says, he said in his own heart. Verse 28, he asked advice and made calves of gold. Verse 29, he made shrines. He anointed priests, not of the tribe of Levi. Verse 33, in the month which he had had advised in his own heart. And so he's given this position, he's given this opportunity to be a godly king over the northern tribes, but he immediately tries to hold on to it in his own strength, in his own ability. Paul said this to the Galatians, having begun in the Spirit, are you now so foolish to believe that you can accomplish things in the flesh? Having begun in the Spirit, having been come to faith in the Spirit, having come to salvation in the Spirit through faith in Christ, are you now scheming how to work things out in the flesh? devising in your own heart, saying in your own heart, planning all your own reasoning. There's no prayer. There's no faith here in God and his promise and what the prophet had said. You know, we can judge Jeroboam. He immediately turns the northern nation, the heart of the nation, away from God. But I think we have to be careful in our own hearts as well. It's so easy for us to rely on our own reasoning on our own scheming, on our own resource, on our own strength. But that's not the way the Lord has called us to live the Christian faith. He's called us to walk by faith. He's called us to trust in His Word and His promise and His Spirit. That doesn't mean that there's, you know, there aren't practical things we do in living our lives. But we are not dependent upon the flesh, the resource of the flesh, the wisdom of our own, you know, abilities. You lean on the flesh, you're going to end up disappointed. You've got to learn to lean on the Spirit, to sow to the Spirit. God wants to lead you by His Spirit. God wants you to learn to trust in His Word, not your resource, not your strength, not your scheming, not your plans. Yeah, yeah, but God needs help because it won't work out that way. I already know. Yeah, and so the mind, we start planning, we start scheming, right? Right oh, and it's going to be all for God. I'm going to do it this way, and it'll all be worked out, and it's all for God anyway, because God doesn't work that way. God does. Interesting. God doesn't even need our advice. I'm always willing to give it, and yet, amazingly, He doesn't need it. So there's lesson there for us to uh, walk in the Spirit, to trust the Lord and not to lean on our own understanding but in all our ways to acknowledge him and he will direct our path let's pray lord we're thankful tonight for this time in your word we see a very historical moment in the nation a nation of division a, a time of division a time of dividing something of a, of a tragedy, really, in the nation, a result of men's sin and turning away. And, and now this discipline, this judgment comes, the nation is divided. And yet, Lord, we see, we see the, the words that, that, that it was of you, ordained of you, that you are still sovereignly in control. And we see men trying to do it in their own strength. Lord, I think even today many try to work out their own plan for salvation. Uh, I've got my own system worked out with God. I've got my own ways. I've got my own scheme that I'm I'm pretty sure God will bless and honor. And yet, Lord, you're calling us to trust in you. We come to you empty-handed. We come to you with nothing to offer but hearts that are humbled and hearts that are yielded to you, and hearts that will trust in you, hearts that will trust in you, Lord, in every circumstance. Lord, as we pray here tonight, as we're just humbled before you, I just I just want to ask, Lord, that you would minister to each heart here tonight. My sense is that there are some here tonight that are, you're going through, a difficult circumstance, and you're wondering, how can God possibly be, bring any good of this? And it's challenging your faith. It's, it's shaking your faith. And you're tempted to, to try and fix it in your own strength. You're tempted to try and manage your way through it. You're tempted to just like, take charge, and hopefully God will just you know, allow you to do that. I just sense maybe the Lord wanting to speak to your heart tonight and say, no, don't do that. Don't take matters into your own hand. Trust me. Wait on me. Turn to me. Don't reason in your own heart. Don't conjure in your own mind. Come to me. Pray. Lay it down. Cast your cares on me because I care for you. Humble yourself before me tonight and and, and let me work even in this trying situation. So, Lord, I pray that you would minister that. Maybe that's for some of your hearts here tonight. But just before we close in worship, I also want to give an opportunity for anyone that's here tonight that would would need to respond to the Lord. And by that, I mean, you're here tonight and you just, you need to give your life to the Lord. You are living your your own plan. You are living your own way. Maybe you've never come in full surrender and come to Christ and ask for his forgiveness and received him as your Savior and you'd like to do so tonight, I'd love to pray for you. Maybe you do know the Lord, but, but you've drifted away, and you're living your life on your terms, in your own strength, in your own wisdom, and you sense the Lord calling you back to himself tonight and saying, recommit your heart and faith and trust to me. And I'd like to pray for you if that's your heart tonight. So if you're here, you want to receive Christ for the first time, or you need to recommit your life to Christ, I'd ask you just to raise your hand, and I'll pray for you. Anybody here tonight? Hand here on the aisle, hand here. Anyone else, Lord, speaking to you? You, just, you know that the Holy Spirit has just just touched your heart tonight, and you know that that you need Him. You know you need to come back to Him. You just sense God really speaking directly to you, specifically for you. Anyone else before I pray? And so, Lord, for these, uh, one more hand there in the very back. For these hands, Lord, tonight, these hearts responding to you, I pray that you would meet them with your love and with your grace. I pray, God, that they would simply come honestly and sincerely. And, Lord, that this would be the prayer of their heart. Jesus, I'm coming to you tonight. I'm asking you to forgive me. I recognize my need of you tonight. I believe you love me. I believe you came from heaven for me. I believe you died on that cross and rose again on my behalf. And I believe that you are one who can sympathize with me. You know my struggle, you know my heart, you know my need, you know my desperation tonight. And I'm asking you to cleanse me, I'm asking you to to embrace me with your love and to fill me with your spirit and to guide me In those things that you desire. I surrender it to you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. To view and listen to more sermons, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.